Hello and welcome to Healing from CPTSD. My name is Justin and I am your host. In today's episode, I will be sharing what it's like to experience narcissistic abuse for those who have no idea what it is, and also so that those who do know what it's like can know that they are not alone. If you haven't done so already, be sure to head over to our site, HealingFromCPTSD.com, and sign up on our mailing list for the latest episodes of the show sent right to your inbox, a free weekly newsletter, and to be first in line for the launch of the Healing from CPTSD course on December 1st, 2021. All links will be in the description below. Alright everybody, and welcome back to Healing from CPTSD. My name is Justin, and I am your host. So in today's episode... I really felt that I wanted to describe and explain what it's like to endure and experience narcissistic abuse. I want to do this to sort of be vulnerable to people out there who have, you know, experienced narcissistic abuse themselves so that they understand a little more deeply that they really aren't alone and experiencing these things. Um, but I also want to do this to describe to anybody, whether it's a person walking down the street or, uh, you know, uh, the mental health field, anybody, you know, because if you have mental health professionals that haven't experienced this stuff, they simply have no way of really knowing unless they really commit to, you know, deep diving into this world of narcissistic personality disorder, narcissistic abuse, and, you know, the, the dynamics of these people's behavior and, and what's going on in their mind and, and then in turn how to help people who have gone through narcissistic abuse and who are suffering from various sorts of trauma, including complex PTSD and other things. Uh, so I'm pretty much just going to go ahead and describe what my personal experiences uh, with narcissistic abuse was, was like. And obviously there's a lot going on here. If you've listened to the previous episode, I kind of went over the basics of what a narcissist is and, and how they behave. And, and um, you know, I, I listed sort of my personal top 10 ways to describe their, their behavior patterns and, um, you know, what it's like dealing with them. Uh, but there are other characteristics, of course, to narcissists. And uh, so I just wanted to go ahead and, and describe kind of my own personal experiences with narcissistic abuse. So this is what this episode is going to be about. So going back to the beginning of, of my life and my experiences with narcissistic abuse, because my main narcissist is my mother, my father, um, and my own experiences and my own personal belief, seeing him and his family background, which, you know, my paternal grandparents, um, along with my own experiences of narcissistic abuse and dealing with CPTSD, I really think my dad, you know, his mom was definitely a, a hardcore narcissist with, you know, alcohol problems for a long time. And he went through his own dose of narcissistic abuse. And I really think he is, he doesn't, he's not as emotionally abusive as my mother is, but he, um, you know, he, he never really dealt with his inner pain, his wounds, his trauma, he, he's never looked within, um, and, you know, that's really a choice. You know, he's he's not as, as abusive as my mother is, but he's got a lot of his own issues that he simply does not want to deal with. And because of that, there's a lot of his own, he has his own unhealthy um, ways of functioning and, and dealing with people and his kids and stuff like that. So, you know, I grew up as a, you know, as a baby in my early years, there was constant fighting going on, right? 
Um, and it was explosive. It was, you know, speaking as, as a, from a child's point of view, it was terrifying. Um, it was, it was really scary. Uh, and it was, you, you didn't, I didn't feel safe. You know, I didn't feel safe. You know, like I, I didn't think my parents were going to come in and, and murder me or something, but I, I, emo- on an emotional level, I just didn't, I never felt safe ever. Um, I didn't know what was happening. I always, I developed, you know, that feeling of walking on eggshells pretty early on. The fighting, the, and, and this is where I, you know, it was, it was a lot of raging, right? Um, angering from my mother and, and my father. Uh, I believe she was attacking him, you know, and he was just sort of reacting to it, honestly. Which, you know, none of it's good, but the, the main narcissist, uh, characteristics were coming from her. So that, so right off the bat, I was exposed to sort of the raging, the aggression, the chaos manufacture, and, and just sort of being, you know, my life sort of starting out in an environment that wasn't, that didn't feel safe, that really wasn't safe. I mean, even if we're talking about psychological and emotional abuse and trauma, um, it wasn't safe. And my anxiety started right then. My uh, my inability to trust the people to to be safe, to keep me safe, because it wasn't like once in a while they get in an argument. I mean, this was a regular thing. So it was kind of like growing up on a battlefield. You know what I mean? And that, and I was just sort of like a spectator for that segment while my father was still in the house. But you know, we'd have the cops come over a lot for domestic disturbances and all, all kinds of stuff. One time, the SWAT team came over. And of course, it only got worse when when my parents got separated and divorced. He would come over and you know kind of stalk the house. So we, we you know there'd be times where we'd like see him at night, kind of like looking at us through the windows outside of the house, which you know was just crazy. I mean, he wasn't going to hurt us, his kids, but it was still kind of creepy, man. You know, um, so that's it was just a constant. You know, this is sort of the first experiences of that I had with narcissistic abuse. It was just constant chaos, constant instability, constant having to experience other people's, you know, rage and fighting and, um, you know, all their own unresolved emotional issues, whatever was going on. It was the chaos. It was an environment of chaos. It was an environment of hostility and abuse and it was just terrible so right off the bat my experiences were not feeling safe and never actually being safe um and really heightened levels of anxiety so you know as i got older and started you know making friends in the neighborhood going to school stuff like that you know my anxiety levels my distrust of people my you know fundamental feeling of not being safe and and not knowing what's going to happen. You know, that's the other thing, the fighting and the chaos. You never know when it's going to happen next. And so you're always on edge. You're always on edge. I was always on edge. I was always, you know, sort of walking on eggshells, having anxiety. I never felt safe and it wasn't uh, it's not a good feeling. But what you have to understand if you didn't grow up in a in an environment like this is that that feeling of anxiety and mistrust and not feeling safe was normal for me. Unfortunately, what I didn't realize was I had an ex- I had a heavy level of anxiety and fear and feelings of not being safe both at home and out in the world, right? So it was like a certain level at home of fear and anxiety. Then I'd go out into the world where if that's how people act at home, God only knows what these people are going to be like out right here, 
right? You, there could be fights. You could Anything could happen at any time for any reason. So my anxiety and feelings of not being safe went up even higher. And they, it kind of, the only place where my anxiety and feelings of safety really um, were at a level that, that was most appealing to me was in my room because I could close the door, lock the door. I could have four walls around me so I could control what was going on around me, going on around me, right? Even if there was fighting going on out in the kitchen or the living room or whatever, I could kind of have some control over what was in, in the the room, the walls were the only thing in my life that made me feel safe on an emotional level. The only thing that were that was constant in my life that I could depend on were four walls around me. Now I know that might sound kind of sad. <laughs> I, I suppose it is sad, but I'm just I'm just explaining, you know, from my own experience, you know, my feelings and my ex- what what I was going through, and I'm still like that. I I I, I prefer I'm an introvert, but I I prefer. You know, the, unfortunately, you know, I've dealt with narcissists and stuff, but I've dealt with a lot of other dysfunctional people, and I've dealt with, you know, people. <sighs> I'm not saying there's not good people out in the world, but you know, there's no shortage of people's drama and chaos and dysfunction and toxicity, even if they're not actually narcissists. So, to be honest, I'm really one of the type of people that it's like I have CPTSD plus I'm an introvert plus I just don't. I don't want to deal with people who are, who are just dysfunctional and toxic and full of drama and chaos. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of them. You know what I mean? And it's not even that I can't socialize with people. I can. It's just I don't really want to talk about gossip or, you know, the latest episode of Keeping Up With Our Kardashians or what, what happened with the Golden Globes or who's dating who. I, I couldn't care less about any of that stuff. So it's kind of a, you know, I don't mind. I like being alone and being a loner. I prefer peace and quiet. A lot of that is because of the, the chaos and noise and insanity that I had to endure growing up. So anxiety, mistrust, not feeling safe, that was sort of the foundation of my life and my experiences with narcissistic abuse. Uh, and while my father was in the house, he was the main scapegoat, right? Once he left the house, and it was just me and my mom and my sister, who's a couple years younger than me, the scapegoat became me because I was... Th- I don't know, a male and I looked kind of like my dad or whatever, whatever it was, I don't know. I turned into the scapegoat. So I was a target and not, not only was I not really safe before, but now I directly was sort of under attack emotionally, verbally, mentally. There was no, um, you know, dealing with a narcissist or especially a narcissistic parent or mother, there's no love. There's no actual love. You know, that warmth from a mom, <laughs> you know, that motherly love that's supposed to be unconditional and the the one source of unconditional love you can always count on. If you have a narcissistic mom, you never have that. Not from your mom, not from anybody. You never, exp- in fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if I've ever actually experienced safe, unconditional love. And again, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to for like a pity party or anything. I'm just, I'm just, just raw description of my experiences. So I didn't have love, right? So so love is not having love is kind of deprivation in and of itself. But being under constant emotional and psychological attack, first of all, when you're young and when you when you're not, you know, you you have no idea what what a personality disordered individual is. You have no idea what's going on. You have you have absolutely no idea why you're under attack or what the problem is. Why are you being yelled at or, or even what you're being yelled at about? 
You know what I mean? Like, for l- let me give you an example. And if you've gone through narcissistic abuse, you know what I'm talking about. But for an everyday, regular, decent home, right, family, for, as an example, let's say that, you know, Timmy is asked by his dad to do the dishes, right? Uh, and Timmy... Timmy doesn't do it once, he doesn't do it twice, and his father keeps reminding you know, I asked you to do the dishes, I'd appreciate it if you do the dishes. Maybe it escalates to a point where Timmy's dad is now yelling at him, you know, or, or at least being stern, saying, you know, hey, you know, you've got to sh- get it together and you have to do these dishes or there's going to be some consequences. If you yell about not doing the dishes after being told a bunch of times, I would argue that you might have a different stance on yelling or firm, you know, speaking firmly to your child that's not behaving. Um, I would argue that's that's normal. That's natural. That's a normal thing to be yelled at about. I asked you to do the dishes multiple times. You still haven't done it. Now I'm upset and I'm yelling at you because you didn't do what I asked you to do, which is washing the dishes. In the mind, in you know, Timmy might not like it. <laughs> you know, he might not like being yelled at. He might not you know, like doing the dishes, obviously, but in the mind, in his brain, it makes sense. Everything that happened made sense. He may, again, he may not like it, but he understands it. There's nothing that's confusing about any of that. He may not like being yelled at by his father or spoken to firmly, but he understands why it happened. When you're dealing with, with a personality disordered individual or narcissistic abuse, you're being yelled at for things that don't even make any sense. And this is what, and so in your own, forget about people out in the world believing you or not believing you. You don't even know what's going on while it's happening. You're not, your brain is subjected to a level of of insanity to the point where it starts to warp your, almost like your, your, your perception of reality. You know, they start to kind of, it's almost like they're, they're breaking you down or something. You know, your ability to trust your own perception of reality the ability to trust your own thoughts and feelings and instincts, none of it makes any sense, right? Like if I was yelled at, like let, let me just give you a, a pain, an example. Let's say my mother asked me to do something, and then I did it, and then she starts yelling at me because I did it. You see how that could be kind of confusing? <laughs> so there's a lot of confusion going on. I was under attack. I didn't know why. I didn't know that I was under emotional assault, verbal assault, psychological assault, on top of not getting love, like never, from my mother, right? Like n- none of that ever happened. I never experienced l- love, right? Like they say, I think there's a such a thing as um, failure to thrive syndrome with babies and infants, where if a baby isn't hugged, right, like, you know, and they don't feel that sort of safety and unconditional warmth from their mother and father, I'm supposed to be. If they don't get hugs and stuff, you know, on a regular basis, they can actually die as infants. I think that th- failure to thrive can probably extend, even if they, someone doesn't die physically. I think if they're uh, subjected to emotional abuse and emotional neglect and deprivation, you could set up a situation where they f- they have a sort of a failure to thrive in life in general, right? Like difficulty holding down jobs, relationships, just the whole nine yards. And I really think it's it's a combination of a lack of love that you can count on, or just love at all, and on top of a lack of love, actual emotional abuse and neglect. That's what was going on. There wasn't much physical abuse, although sometimes there was. Uh, and again, it just felt it was just like a form of raging from from my my mother, uh, and taking her unresolved emotional issues out on me, and and causing problems and 
chaos and crises and yelling. So you got to understand on the one hand, it's just because there's so much yelling and chaos. It's just, I grew up in an environment that's so loud that I got to the point that I don't like loud stuff. You know, I'm not going to, I don't like cover my ears and crawl under a table if there's some fireworks going off. But let me give you an example. Like I don't, I don't really like like concerts, live concerts. I'd rather listen to music like on my phone or, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I can't, I can't handle all that. And I honestly think it's because of the environment I grew up in and, and associating loud noises with so much pain and so much toxicity that I, I don't, I can't handle. I just, I, honestly, I feel like those environments anyway, it's like a combination of loud noises and chaos, right? <laughs> with people just yelling and screaming and there's people on drugs and alcohol, like, those environments for me were never a fun time. Like clubs, I don't, I can't, I can't do it. I just don't like it. I, you know, it reminds just too much. And I, I think it's not only bad memories, but honestly, um, I think my nervous system is kind of fried to a certain degree. That's how it feels from all this. It's like overload. Like my nervous system was overloaded with so much. Um, unbelievable levels of, of just like sort of pain and, and yelling and screaming and, and everything else that I, I just, I think there's a certain part of me that's just kind of fried, <laughs> you know, like where I, I can't, what normal people are able to handle. I, I have trouble doing that. So once I got older, you know, so I started going to therapy when I was young. Some of this I've, I've mentioned before, but I'm just kind of retreading it, going through my memories here. I didn't know what was going on, but no, let's, 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 this is what I'll do. Knowing what I know now and having the terminology to, the terminology to, uh, verbalize what narcissistic abuse is and use specific terms to describe certain behaviors, I'll use what I know now and apply it like to when I was little. So a lot of it was, I would say at, at the beginning, you got to understand it's like a combination of many different types of, emotional and psychological abuse, right? So the first is you're kind of always wrong, right? Like there's just always something to nitpick or criticize or put you down for. And you don't know why really. You don't really know why your your own mother's treating you that way. So it's confusing. Um, and you start to not trust yourself, right? So your self-esteem starts going down the tubes. Your feeling of safety starts going down the tubes. Forget about confidence. I mean, you know, it's not funny, but, and you, you're just always wrong. You're, and so it's, you gotta, you gotta f think of it on an emotional level. It feels like you're just constantly, constantly, constantly being rejected by your own mother. And you don't even know why. Like, when, even when you're trying to do what she wants or please her or whatever, it's just constant, constant, constant rejection. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. It's like never any, good, you know, positive feedback. It's just nonstop. You're wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. This is wrong. And you, and you begin, it really messes with you, man, in your mind. It's, it's painful emotionally because no one wants to be rejected by their parents that much, but you begin to, it really messes with your head when you're growing up like that. Cause if, if you didn't grow up like that and then you, you come across someone like that when you're an adult, you'll just be like, Oh, that person is just a nut and you keep on moving. But when it's someone that's, that's fundamentally shaping your view of the world and reality and how human beings are, it really does a lot of damage. So much damage on so many different levels that I honestly think it really, you know, this stuff should be, a, it should be like a criminal act, honestly. 
so you, you're constantly being rejected. You start to constantly reject yourself. And what, is, what does this do? It's, it, cre- it sets up an emotional situation inside you where not only do you not trust yourself, but you're constantly rejecting yourself and, and you start to become kind of like a perfectionist, which because you can never attain perfection, it's like you're just constantly rejecting yourself. So it's like you're, you're being abused at home. You're being abused when you're not at home because you're continuing the rejection and abuse in your own mind. And it's, it's just constant. It's just constant. It's like that. What's that torture where the there's like um or I I think there's something where like if you take a stone or a rock and you constantly have like a drip a constant drip of water over it it'll even just that will over time erode the rock. All that rejection on emotional and psychological levels starts to and this is really one of the saddest parts about all this is it starts to almost erode the person. It starts to erode the person's emotional self. It erodes their self-esteem. It erodes their their ability to even function. It, it erodes um, their ability to have you know healthy connections with other people. It you know it just erodes the self. I mean, in that book um, CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving by Pete Walker, there's a part in that book where he says there's a quote from another author who specializes in, in healing from trauma, John Bradshaw, I believe his name is. That says it's, you know, narcissistic abuse is like soul murder. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like my my inner self was constantly under attack. It was never okay to be me. I felt like I was, I felt like I, I grew up in a prison and I was being attacked in the prison at the same time on a regular basis. To be honest with you, the entire experience was like absolute hell. Again, like, uh, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again in the future. I wouldn't put my worst enemy through narcissistic abuse, especially coming from someone's parent or their own mother. And what I've described so far is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this this isn't even, this doesn't even, we haven't even gotten into the, the other dynamics. But it just, on an emotional level, what it felt like was just like it was absolutely and completely hated. I mean, just raw hatred on a regular basis, which is hard enough in and of itself. But when it's your own mother, it's a, it's a special kind of hell. That again, I I wouldn't wish that on anybody. For your emotional self, your 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 developing tender, you know, inner child, your your soul, your your you know, your mind, how 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 gentle and 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 sacred a child is to be completely hated and rejected on an emotional and psychological level by your own mother is absolute hell. I mean, absolute hell. I I can't even. And I would honestly, without exaggerating, I think that it's a, it's a form of emotional torture. And I'm not even mincing words here. I really, it felt like a type of, of torture. I mean, it's like imagine being tortured and deprived of something you need fundamentally, like water or food, for at least the first 18 years of your life. That's what it felt like. That's what it was like. And because I was dealing with trauma and I didn't even realize it, you know, I, I, I wasn't myself. I didn't even know who I was. You know, if I was putting on a mask, I didn't even, I didn't, I was like a mask, but the face behind the mask was like invisible. I didn't know who I was. I didn't have the time. I didn't have the chance to connect with my core self, right? Some people call it the the core self, the inner self, the emotional self. I honestly think it's just the soul, again, but it's your core that that self, that sense of I am, right? That I-ness, that core sense of self in, in literally in the core of your being, in your heart, that's connected to your mind. Well, that never developed. I was constantly under attack and rejection. Rejection is probably the word I would use to describe a lot of this the most. It was like, it was just like, 
it felt like I was just constantly being rejected. And it was extremely sad. And I cried pretty much every night. I mean, I, you know, I just wanted to die. That's why I wanted to die. <laughs> like, as I got older, you know, I would, I would have trouble with, I started to verbalize that to some people. And, and some people just thought I was crazy and treated me like a leper. Or, you know, a couple times I was Baker acted or something because I just didn't know what else to do. The bulk of why I wanted to die was because my mother abused the shit out of me on a regular everyday basis and hated me. And then, of course, obviously, then comes the scapegoats and the smear campaigns. Just this story of how Justin is just this bad, terrible person, this kid, this terrible kid. To family, friends, the narrative started. And I didn't even know it until later. The therapist couldn't help me. So just picture like I'm in hell. I'm in a prison that I don't belong in anyway. I'm being attacked inside the prison. I'm trying to get help. Nobody's either wanting to help me or able to help me or whatever. My anger, my rage, I mean, my, my emotions, like I didn't even know what my emotions were either. I did My emotions, I had so much coming at me to experience on an emotional level that was so not only negative and toxic, but so extreme with so much pain that it was just like, it was like, honestly, it felt like it was just compacted deep down inside me and it just froze over. For so many years, I was just so emotionally frozen. You know, like if, if you go to a therapist or you, you go to a 12-step program and they say, how are you feeling? Honestly, I didn't know. I was just completely numb. But I would say things to kind of deflect, right? Like, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Or, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. For most of my life, that wasn't true. It wasn't authentic. I was constantly in a state of inner hell and no one could help me. So then, of course... Because you got to understand, because you're developing like this, where your your, your self esteem is in the in the crapper, you're constantly feeling unsafe. You don't trust anything. You can't trust anything. And when I say trust, I'm talking about you know being able to open up emotionally and just be you. I was never able to do that. I was never allowed to do that. I didn't even know how to do that. And, you know, th there's a lot of people out there who sort of ridicule or make fun of people who aren't necessarily that great socially or they don't know how to connect with others. There's a good chance that these people have, have never learned how to do that or they were never allowed to. You know, there's certain things in life that people just take for granted. You know, just the ability to be yourself, to be allowed to be yourself without being under constant rejection and ridicule. And sh the shaming tactics and the degradation and, and just all of it. There's many people who don't ever have to go through that. And so opening up with others, being socially, con you know, successful, I guess you could say, like, a, you know, it's, it's, no, it's like a breeze for them. And they look at somebody else who's sort of like shut down, isolated, withdrawn, doesn't trust anybody, doesn't have too many friends, isn't that great with actual social skills, so then they just become a little bit more awkward, you know, in, in different people's eyes. So you, if you see what I'm setting up here, going to school with other kids, I had friends and stuff, but I was subjected to an entire new world of unbelievable rejection because of, of my inability to open up and trust and to be myself and, and to connect with others, which was directly and 100% because of the abuse and the rejection going on at home. So A, I've got the nonstop rejection and hatred at home. B, I've got my own unconscious inner rejection and hatred going on 24-7. And then C, you, you introduce all these other, you know, kids and peers, people in middle school and high school, you know, who, you know, I got picked on a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a big dude, but when I was younger, I got picked on a lot. 
pushed around a lot, bullied by certain people, made fun of. People didn't like me because I just was, and I wasn't even, I was just, you know, to paint you a picture, I was just like a shy, you know, withdrawn, isolated type of kid. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't like, I wasn't anything else, you know what I mean? Like in the in the cafeteria at school, I might sit by myself. I mean, I did develop some friends, but you know, even then the saddest part is I couldn't, I felt like, I never felt like I could really open up emotionally 100% and connect with even a friend. Forget about girlfriends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we haven't even gotten to that yet. For, forget about the depths of emotional intimacy and vulnerability that you're supposed to tap into with intimate relationships. I never even really did that with a friend. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't have some good times with friends, but I'm saying there was always a sense of anxiety. There was always a sense of I felt like I wasn't me, really, or something. Like something was off, even within myself. I couldn't be who I was. I didn't feel comfortable enough to be who I was. I didn't know how to be who I was. I, I didn't know how to be my authentic self. That's the phrase I learned later on. What I'm trying to describe here is what I would call the authentic, genuine self. And to express that, to be that. So, you know, I, I just always felt like I was in an inner prison, an inner wall, almost, of plexiglass or something where I just couldn't ever really connect because I, A, didn't know how. And B, was never, I never even learned how to do that. Don't you, you know, think about that for a second. Like, that's what I mean when you're, when, when you're a baby and a toddler and you're growing up and you're supposed to have that pure emotional openness and sense of safety and trust with your parents. I did not, not only did I not have that, again, I was under constant attack and rejection. So that would, you know, continued in school. Um, I didn't have my first girlfriend until I was like 17. And even then I, I was, I was terrified. I was, forget about asking a girl out on a date. I mean, I was terrified being in a situation where I might be have to be open and be rejected even more. Because what starts to happen is, you got to understand, you start to experience what's called emotional flashbacks, which is like an, it's a spectrum. You know, you, an emotional flashback could be something mild or it could be really extreme. Where it, in a, in a, on an emotional level, it feels like almost like that initial experience of, of, trauma, neglect, um, you know, almost abandonment. You know, you can abandon your child emotionally, even if you're there physically. And that's what I experienced. So it's, and that's confusing too. It's like, if someone said, oh, my mom left me, people would be able to understand that. But if someone's like, oh, you know, you're getting food and you have shelter and you, you know, your mom buys you clothes, they don't really want to listen to any complaints that you have, even though you're you're in an abusive situation. Even if you tell them that, they still don't, you know, there's this very weird stigma in society that parents, especially mothers, can do no wrong. And yet I think that probably the vast majority of serial killers probably went through exactly what I went through growing up. It's not funny, but, you know, you, you can, monsters are created by other monsters. Most of the time, from what I've seen, what I believe and from what I've seen, honestly. Okay, so let's, let's, let's talk about me being in relationships. And so my anxiety was so bad. Or hey, hang on, let me back up. So let's say middle school, high school. My anxiety was so bad at that point that I, I just, I couldn't even, I was just like walking around with a constant state of extreme anxiety. And like, I, I felt like I was under constant threat of attack all the time. I could never really relax again, unless I was in my four <laughs> in my room with the four walls but then again it was only a matter of time before that tyrant came blasting through my door with some more abusive bullshit you know I can't even tell you I mean I had trouble with friends in middle school and high school I, I had issues with people bullying me but um 
oh my god, the anxiety. The anxiety was so extreme, and the, the terror. I mean, forget about fear. I was up in that terror level, just kind of all the time, inwardly, right? That I was going to be called on in class, or someone was going to just tear me to shreds, or I, I just didn't know. You have to understand, in my mind, I have no idea what's going to cause somebody to attack for any reason at any time, right? There's no way for me to know that. You know what I mean? Like growing up with a narcissist who's especially your a parent, there's no way for you to know ever again whether someone's going to attack you or, or not or why or when or how or whatever. There's no set pattern. So, um, you know, I remember my anxiety levels being so extreme that I couldn't even pay attention in class. It wasn't ADD. It was it was almost like I was so terrified sitting in that classroom with surrounded by all those people and potential attackers. I know that sounds crazy, but you have to understand inside my mind and my emotional self, everything, everyone was a, a, a source of potential danger. And that's how my brain interpreted it. And my anxiety was so high, I couldn't pay attention in class. I would take notes and then have to go home and like reteach myself the material from my classes. It's just reading the books. You know, luckily I, I, you know, was, uh, you know, fairly intelligent so I could do it, but I hated it. You know, my entire life was just spent being under attack at home, not having a stable father around, constantly feeling like I was, you know, dealing with anxiety and the dread of, of the dread of going to school, the dread of going home, the dread of never feeling safe. When I got into high school, the anxiety got so bad, I started having stomach issues like early in the mornings and stuff. And, you know, it, I just remember, like, looking back now, I realized that my anxiety and, and, like, I guess IBS or whatever was so bad, I really think it was caused by how high my levels of anxiety were. I mean, it was almost like I had an electric current running through me all the time that was unbelievably uncomfortable, and I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't know what was going on. All the therapists I saw couldn't help for whatever reason. I mean, talk about wanting to smack somebody. My God, like I was there, man. I didn't get into drugs. I went to therapy. Like I played by the rules. Like I did everything I was supposed to do. And yet I was still rejected and just treated like absolute garbage and shamed and, and just sort of tossed to the curb by not only my mother and family, but like my by society, right? Like I can't tell you how many people, whether they were you know, nasty, dysfunctional people that were just being mean and nasty to me or regular people who were otherwise well-meaning people, but because I had, but actually shamed me and put me down because of my inability to connect, even though they didn't know what I had been through. I just can't tell you how much, you know, and then, then there's people saying that would say things like, oh, well, he's weird or this or that, you know, I don't think people understand what it's like emotionally to go through so much unbelievable nonstop rejection from your mom, your family, different people in your neighborhood, people at school, just the therapists all over the place. I mean, there's there's no it's not a shock to me why people become addicts of various kinds or or can't function in society or even, you know, go all the way to, to committing suicide because there's there's some hells it's like it's not only like you're in hell, but people don't know how to escape. And that's why I'm so mad at therapists because, I, you know, I was dealing with things in a healthy way, the healthiest way I knew how, and they weren't able to help me. And so I was just con constantly stuck in that hell. And then, you know, different therapists 
thought maybe there was like a bipolar thing going on. What was happening was extreme trauma, psychological and emotional trauma. What I know now as complex PTSD, toxic levels of constant shame, constant emotional flashbacks, a vicious inner critic, a vicious outer critic in the form of my narcissistic mother, self-abandonment without even being conscious of it, not getting my needs met, not doing what was, not even knowing how, social anxiety like people can't even believe. I mean, it's, I, I honestly think, I mean, people have said like, it's like growing up on a battlefield, but I, I honestly think, and I haven't been in the military or in war, but I'm sure that if you're deployed in war, there's a certain level of constant extreme anxiety and stress that you're going to be under attack. And that's why they say it's like growing up on a bed, because that's the only other place in life where you're possibly experiencing something like that, right? Where you literally are. That's exactly what war is. You're under the threat. You're under constant threat of attack for any reason, at any time, from any area, by anyone. You don't know if a grenade's going to go off or someone's going to pop out of the bushes and shoot you or a, or land. you're going to step on a landmine or what's going to happen. I would I would like to see if, if my levels of anxiety and terror on a regular daily basis were similar to what soldiers were actually experiencing having to actually be in war, just out of, you know, curiosity. Now, when it came to intimate relationships, what would happen is, on an emotional level, I was absolutely terrified. I mean, the idea that I would be ridiculed. See, when you got that gaze, when you're dealing with narcissistic abuse and you come under the gaze of the narcissist, right, and they, they just attack like a tiger, whether it's emotional or verbal or whatever, you are conditioned pretty deeply that if you are seen, if someone spots who you are, you're going to be under attack. And so you're terrified just for that. So when you're in an intimate relationship, the idea of being my authentic self was absolutely terrifying. Not only that, I didn't know how to do it, but to experience even more rejection was even more terrifying. But this isn't just everyday rejection that happens in a relationship between people. Being rejected by someone that I open myself up to would be, it would result in me experiencing an extreme emotional flashback, the likes of which I, I couldn't control and I couldn't get myself out of for days, if not weeks. I mean, we're talking like black hole levels of unbelievable, like inner hell. If I were to, exp you know, because it's like that, that it's almost like you're re-experiencing the initial trauma of whatever happened when you were a baby where you're, you're, you're not getting your emotional needs met, you're not getting that love, and there's just this constant pattern of shock, fear, and confusion that where you just feel completely alone, completely abandoned, completely rejected, and to re-experience, that's what an emotional flashback is. Something happens, and it triggers that like initial trauma, and you're, you're almost, uh, look, I'll try to explain an emotional flashback stuff that I've had, but I've had emotional flashbacks that were so extreme, and this was before I even knew what they were, where it was just like an overwhelming sense of doom, of of dread and anxiety that to the to a degree where I I could would just close down completely, like I would just stay in bed for days or or anything. It was so I mean, I couldn't cope with that. Like I'd have to. It was like such an unbelievable level of inner hell and inner darkness and just feeling completely abandoned and not knowing why that I'd have to go on drives or just get out of the, go for a walk or I, I and I even any of that wouldn't, you know, go be social. It, none of that would help after a while. So that actually happened. Those things actually happened. I wasn't just afraid of relationships because I thought I might get rejected. I was, a, I was afraid 
of re-experiencing those extreme levels of emotional flashbacks. I didn't, I couldn't control them. I didn't know exactly what would cause them other than just rejection, right? Which is what was going on at my house and in my own mind on a regular basis. And so I would, I would, I've had relationships, but to be honest, on an emotional level, I was always terrified in them. It always felt like things were moving and shit. Like I didn't know if they were going to reject me at any moment. And, and that uncertainty not knowing love and connection or even know and honestly talking about this and looking back again I didn't even know how to be whatever you're supposed to be in an intimate relationship I was never able to I don't know what love was I didn't know what trust was I didn't know how to open up and and so then I was just you know rejected even more because I would what would happen is I would just reject them you know first like by breaking up with them and just get cuz it was I couldn't handle I couldn't handle it I couldn't handle being in a relationship with someone with the constant feeling of not knowing when you're going to be rejected or why or what's going to happen or, you know, it was horrible. And so I I had a few girlfriends, but over after a while, I, and you know, the other sad thing is like, I'm attracted to women and stuff, but like, because I was dealing with that emotional deficiency of not having motherly love, I was also looking for that without even realizing it. You know, so it was like, if, if I had a girl I liked and she ended up rejecting me or, or, breaking up with me it was like it, it was like the devastation emotionally that i experienced as a child when with my own mother's rejection of me and no no love just darkness just a black void of anxiety and pain that i i i wouldn't again wish on anybody and i don't i i i've gotten really strong having to go through all this and still being alive but those emotional flash see now i can i can recognize them and soothe myself through them when they're happening so i experience them but i know how to soothe myself i know how to get my needs met there was a time where i didn't know how to do that it's like, again it's like you're dying of emotional thirst it's it's i mean i can't even i don't know i'm describing it now the best that i can hopefully this makes sense to people but so i was never able to be in relationships you know, I would self-sabotage, I would push people away, I would isolate. But the truth is, it wasn't just because I was an asshole. It was because I was dealing with extreme emotional trauma and pain and anxiety and sadness, the likes of which most people don't even, can't even imagine. The mental health field couldn't help me. Some of them thought maybe there was a bipolar thing going on or something. They tried different meds. <clears throat> the truth is, none of it stopped the CPTSD. <laughs> you know, like none, none of it, none of it, none of it. The, the people, they were just wrong. You know what I mean? And and so I've been, uh, I just, I don't know. I can, and then like, as I got older, I would go, uh, you know, have to rent room. Like my ability to function is still extremely debilitated. Just so we're clear. Like I don't have a girlfriend now. I, I can't even do it. I mean, I, I would need like a lot of therapy and experiencing someone not. And I guess that's what they call an earned secure attachment, right? Where you learn what that sense of safety and trust emotionally is. But the truth is, I'm not saying I wouldn't work on myself. I'm not saying I haven't worked on that, like working on my ability to trust. But I honestly have to say, I really don't think, like I'd be willing to trust like on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level, I honestly think it's, it's not, it's just not going to, I'm never going to be able to really do that. I'm never going to be able to trust anyone. Like, you know, it's just not, you know, you got to understand like where I'm coming from like how i'm experiencing the world around me and and people and humans it's just the, the entire my entire life has just been like absolute hell and what pisses me off the most is i'm not a bad person i'm intelligent you know 
I'm fairly good looking. I'm not, I'm not like a criminal. I'm not in a gang. I'm not a, a drug addict. I didn't have a bunch of kids at a wedlock and I'm just not taking care of them. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a criminal. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I don't deserve this shit. There's probably cr- actual criminals out there who experience consequences with the, for what they've done that are far less than the consequence that I, what I've had to go through, you know? And I think that there's probably a lot of people that have committed suicide for far less reasons than, than the unbelievable levels of pain and, and emotional and psychological torture and rejection that I've, I've had to deal with. It's almost like, you know what it kind of reminds, if I could give like a visual representation, you ever see that movie Edward Scissorhands, Scissorhands by um, Tim Burton? It's like he's, he's a, kind of like a freak, right? Like he doesn't really fit in and he's got scissors for hands. So it's like everything he touches, he kind of messes it up. And so because, because of his own nature, he can't really connect or, or how he was created, you know what I mean? It was, it's, it's not like he wanted any of that. He was created that way. It's, it's horrible. He couldn't, you know, the rejection. And it was just, hor- that's kind of what it's like for me. Like, I think probably a lot of us who have had to deal with extreme levels of emotional neglect and abuse and torture. Since I've learned how to soothe myself and get my emotional needs met, things have gotten better. So I know there's there's help. Like, I can soothe myself. I haven't tried to actually be in any relationship till I've, Till I feel like I've healed uh, sufficiently and I'm I'm in a better place financially and all that, but it's you know it's getting better. Once I learned about CPTSD, everything changed. But yeah, I, I would say that. Oh, and then of course there's the smear campaigns. Forget about that. So you again you're you you're being painted as this monster that you aren't actually that that's not really you. So anyway, I think that's probably a good place to stop it for this episode um i hope that made sense i hope you know and I'll, I'll talk about more of this as we go along i just wanted to kind of give sort of a insight into my own personal experiences with narcissists and by the way that's what i what i told you what i just ex- described is very similar for a lot of people who've had to deal with narcissistic abuse whether it's their mom or dad or whoever a spouse a boyfriend or girlfriend and so that's kind of what it's like experiencing narcissistic abuse to, to say the least it's just been like pure absolute hell to a point where, again, like therapists don't know what it is. People on the street don't even believe you. Just think about that. Just really sit with that idea that pe- it's so extreme that most people have no frame of reference for it. You're just left to suffer on your own. It wasn't for lack of trying. Like It wasn't that I wasn't going to therapists or reading books or trying to talk to people or go to seminars. What I went through was extreme enough to where even these high-level, highly educated people and these personal development workshops like Tony Robbins levels of stuff it didn't work on me and they thought there was something fundamentally wrong with me they didn't know what I was dealing with there's a lot of other people out there maybe you're one of them that does know what I've gone through and so honestly I think it's to us those of us who have been able to crawl through the debris and the rubble of our lives and and the neglect and abuse to build something specifically for us you know because again, a lot of people are well-meaning, but they just don't, they don't get it. And all you end up getting is more rejection, ridicule, shame. But there's something real going on. It's called complex PTSD, emotional abuse, extreme levels of trauma and neglect and hatred that has come from someone else into you. They're just Narcissists are like just hate machines. It's just like their they're number one operative is just pure hate. And they're totally out of control. 
So anyway, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, I hope you guys are doing well, and I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode of the show, and I will talk to you soon. Take care.